0: Welcome to the Support Automation Show, a podcast by Capacity. Join us for conversations with leaders in customer or employee support who are using technology to answer questions, automate processes, and build innovative solutions to any business challenge. I'm your host, Justin Schmidt. Good afternoon, Rachel. Thanks for coming on. Where does this podcast find you?
1: Hi, Justin, Uh, I'm in uh, Naples, Florida.
0: Oh, lovely. I've got some family in Florida. It's a great place. So I would love to start our chat with a little bit about your journey in support. When and why did you first get into support?
1: Yeah, I've been in the support slash customer success space for five to six years. Um, Mm. Mainly I've been in customer experience support roles prior to to joining like the SaaS world. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really just, Jumped into an early stage tech startup in Sydney, Australia called a Um, and I basically was the first person there handling all post-sale customer experience pieces. So success and support was a huge part of that as well. Um, and then most recently I was in Domo, but more as a customer success manager, but still I interfaced quite heavily with the support team mm-hmm. um, there. And I have a lot of respect for for my support peers, because I know it is a uh a really difficult job because you're dealing with problems all day long and not the most happiest customers. Uh, as well. So at the moment, I'm on a sabbatical, uh, because I relocated to the US to be with my partner. Um, And so I'm patiently waiting for my right to work uh, permit, which hopefully I'll get in the next month. But you know, the US immigration uh, has control over that one for me.
0: Well, we've all got our fingers crossed for you that that gets done sooner (laughs) rather than later.
1: Yeah, thanks. So
0: when you hear the word support automation, which is a concept that here at Capacity, we're trying to bring to light. What does that mean to you?
1: I think it means how do we leverage technology to uh, streamline the experience that customers have when interacting with support? you know, typically when you have a problem, your first point of contact is to try and speak to a support representative. And sometimes that could be just because you don't have the access to the information. And so I think it's great that a lot of support tools these days are focusing on kind of AI and, um, um, like to, basically surface information based off the things that are happening in a live chat or on a phone, on a phone call trying to jump through the hoops before they have to speak to a person. Um, I think it then also allows you to scale a business, um, much faster without needing uh, a heavy, uh, account, uh, head count. Um, because it's a shame, that uh, support is seen as a cost center rather than, you know, a revenue, uh, or a customer satisfaction piece. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts on, on support automation.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because you sort of mentioned something there that I noticed was also in some of the pieces you've published on LinkedIn. You're a good writer, by the way. Oh, thanks. You had a, a piece about understanding how you can create, like manage churn yeah, and turn churn into an opportunity, right? Yeah, And it's interesting because that's certainly not a cost center that is that is revenue driving activity and it it reminds me a little bit of when i was younger i worked at a cell phone company selling cell phones this is in the early 2000s and a little different than probably how cell phones are bought today but it was a competitive sales environment and i had a quota but renewing customers or keeping someone from churning did not count towards my quota only new new activations did. So the whole job design was built to disincentivize me to keep paying customers, right? So I thought it was very fascinating how you were looking at managing churn and and creating an opportunity out of that. And that speaks to exactly what you just said about support actually not being just a cost center. It's not. It's not a tax for having customers. It's a way to drive revenue and keep and generate customers. And I thought that was really interesting. In addition to what you wrote there, and I encourage everybody to follow Rachel on LinkedIn so you can see her writing. Are there any other lessons that you learned to help turn customers into opportunity and make support a revenue driving endeavor?
1: Yeah, I think every interaction you have with the customer, regardless of where you sit in an organization, is an opportunity, right? Um, Because... You know, we're all in this attention economy trying to grab our customers' attention and, you know, getting that time with them is precious. And even though like uh, a support interaction might not be, you know, the best, um, I think that there's a lot of great data you can collect from that interaction that can then be used by other teams within an organization to um, develop opportunities. So I always took the role at Domo of looking at support tickets. My customers were opening because I think that that sparks the opportunity to go, what, what are they trying to do that we don't know about that we could be helping them proactively with, um, and resolving their, their, their problem faster. And then also, um, decreasing obviously the load on our support team as well. Um, you know, when you're quite a large organization and you have thousands of customers, obviously support gets swarmed constantly. And so being able to try and intervene there, um, in a customer success or a sales role to kind of be like, Hey, actually what you're trying to do is with actually this other piece over here that you haven't even explored yet. Um, and that's where I think leveraging data, um, in all the functions is, is very meaningful. And then how do we create the the automation piece around that as well. Um, the other thing I think is, um, getting a dissatisfied customer and angry customer is actually a good thing because I know that we always want to make people happy, but when they're not satisfied, you then know where you can go from there. Um, and I, it's uncomfortable. Yes. (laughs) Um, it's never fun to have those phone calls with customers who are, um, annoyed or pissed off about what's going on, um, and we all know that software breaks—you know, inevitable. Um, but I think it's important to be like, okay, what do you, what's actually underneath this? You know, what what's driving this behavior, or what's dri- what's happening in their business that we don't know about, that we can then uncover an opportunity to help them with uh, what they're trying to achieve as well.
0: Mm. And at the scale of something like Adomo. A lot of customers there. It's a big company, a great product too.
1: Oh, thanks. I think it's a great product too.
0: It is. It is a great product. You have to rely on technology and automation to help manage a customer base that large. And I'm sure there's, you know, key enterprise accounts versus you know some smaller accounts, and, and you got to triage things a little bit there from a more manual perspective. But can you tell us? sort of how you've embraced automation in that sort of high-scale scenario.
1: Yeah, um, well, I guess the beauty of working at a company like Domo that manages data, um, I got to not only see how that operates from a support side internally, but then also working with customers uh, that didn't sit necessarily in a software space, but also wanted to measure their support interactions as well um, and how do they leverage data to, to be smarter and better um, because obviously everyone's you know compete in a competitive environment, um, and customer experience has kind of become the forefront of everybody's mind. Um, specifically in a in a post COVID world, um, I feel like all of a sudden companies are starting to recognize the value of customer success support and support, and why it's a crucial key to retaining customers and making sure that their annual recurring revenue is staying where it's at, but also then growing uh from that. Um one thing I think that was really useful that Domo did really well was anytime a support ticket was opened, um, I would get a notification about that. And so so would the um account executive or the salesperson. And so that's really helpful because um we might be working with uh, a customer on something like particularly in the sales space, there might be an opportunity that they're you know, going after an upsell. Um, and so if a support ticket's happening with you know, another stakeholder that we might not necessarily always be aware of that obviously allows us to reach out practically and start to have a conversation with that person, understand what they're actually trying to do. Um, and then the other thing that, um, was also really helpful was, um, being able to get the, the status updates. So if it was a bug, you know, what is the resolution time? I and mean, obviously in software, you don't want to be like this ticket is going to be fixed on Monday at 9. AM. Um, because, you know, that's not what happens in reality. So we, um, we would never give like a, a resolution time, but we definitely would have a an SLA on a response time. And so we had customers who, who could pay for preferred support. So, Um, there was just general support, you know, you had a problem, you open a ticket, but preferred support. Obviously you got a dedicated support person. You got a direct phone line into them. Um, you got uh, a monthly meeting to kind of be like, Hey, you know, with more of the, uh, I would call like the center of excellence team that would be implementing or responsible for Domo. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're getting all these support tickets on these things. So actually we should be looking at educating these set of users, on, you know, data management because they keep opening tickets and asking the same questions. Um, and I think that that was really, really helpful um, way to make sure that trying to put fires out before they became um, right. <laughs> a raging bushfire such.
0: Exactly. So in that scenario, you're bringing a lot of data-driven um, decision-making. You've got various processes, either, you know, trying to self self-service type scenarios, you know, knowledge bases and all that that, that customers could go into. Um, you know, you talk sort of about like call coaching or um, some of the real time sort of agent assist type technology that's out there. You're bringing a lot of automation into an operation like that. Did you find that the frontline support reps, did they embrace that automation? Did they find it scary thinking like, you know, this is going to take over my job kind of deal. Did you, did you run into any of the, the, the fear of automation?
1: Surprisingly? No. Um, I think it really depends on the technology stack that an organization chooses. Um, I think at the end of the day, people still want to talk to people. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yes, we can automate to a point, but there's still interactions, um, that happen, uh, that need, obviously you need a human to talk to rather than a robot. (laughs) Um, and so I think people can be afraid of it, but I also think, um, you have to look at the opportunity that's there and every industry is, has it gone through this going through it or is going to go through it? Right. There's no like going back against AI and like the data science, all of that, that space. Um, but I think it's important to think about, well, what's the opportunity there? Like, can I upskill myself so that I'm not just a, a tier one support rep? Um, how can I be specialized in, in the support environment so that I'm the go-to person. So for example, in Domo, there was, um, different pieces. It's a beast of a software. Um, and so, you know, there was like one support guy I would always go to for a specific, um, one of the data connection tools we had to bring data in from on-prem and he knew this product inside out back to front, like sometimes better than the engineers that built it themselves. So like if I, if I had a problem on that and I wasn't getting the answer I want, I would go to Greg cause I need Greg, would find it. Shout out to Greg. (laughs) Um, And he definitely solved a lot of problems for a lot of really important customers I had to serve. Um, But also spent the time with the customer to educate them on what had happened and how they could, you know, try and resolve this themselves. And so Greg, I think will always have a role um, in Jomo and support if he wants it, because he just goes above and beyond. And I think that that that's, you know, it's easy to become complacent and think that automation's here to take your job, but I think it also can allow you to rise above that and go, hey, how can I be specialized here so that I'm needed?
0: Yeah, Greg is a great example too of, you know, what we like to call managing by exception, right? Mm -hmm. Like when an organization embraces automation and they do it right, they are no longer managing every single case by exception, right, The, the stuff that you need to bring to Greg with good automation, you you can self-serve a lot of that, or you could frontline agent assist a lot of that. yeah, and then only the stuff that really warrants Greg to dive deep into it, he now has bandwidth to do that, right and that's the that's the thing that excites me sort of the most about and why I, you know took the job here at capacity is automation and AI sort of regardless of what discipline you apply it in, is really going to help unlock the full potential of your best people, help your teams do their best work, as as we like to say here. And that's a perfect example of that. I love it. And another thing that we've touched on a little bit here, but I want to double click on it because when we reached out to you to have this discussion, one of the things you mentioned was... The internal automation processes between customer success, support and sales. This is fascinating to me because this is a perfect example of automation enabling a higher order of human functioning, just to put it (laughs) kind of clinically, because without automation and everyone's just, you know, paling water the whole time. You're never going to have the time and the opportunity to make these connections. I would love to just hear your thoughts on this because it's a fascinating idea and I can't wait to, to explore this topic with you.
1: Yeah. It's, it's purely out of something I've had in my, uh, as a kind of a frustration in my, in my role. You know, I don't think every organization has this perfectly worked out, but I feel like we spend a lot of time, um, you know, automating the external interactions that we have. So how can we automate emails? How can we automate live chat and how can we automate those sort of, um, and I think marketing has done a great job of automation, uh, with touch points and those kind of things. But I right. think sometimes we forget about when you look at a customer and this 360 degree view, obviously support is really key. And then you have customer success and you also have sales. Um, and those three are always going to be interfacing with a customer at different points in their journey, obviously. Um, but, uh, I think what kind of misses it, uh, from an operational standpoint is when I have a interaction as a customer success manager, um, with a customer, and then for whatever reason in a week or two time, they open a support ticket, allowing me to have that visibility around that interaction I think is meaningful. So if I, as a customer success manager, have had an interaction with a um, with a customer and then a week later, they open a support ticket with support, I think what is valuable is being able to have a, a visibility as a support person to know that this interaction has occurred. And um, I even had, had my own experience in the last week when I was contacting a um, company about a... Um, the lost parcel, and I had literally once a day reached out to them on live chat, and <laughs> it's like every person until I got on the phone to speak to someone just didn't recognize that I would already had a talk ch- conversation about the same thing five times before. Um, and she recognized that straight away, which really turned around my thoughts on on the company. Actually, so I was like, get it together, like, can't you see I've already had five conversations about this same damn thing? Um, and so, you know, she was like, oh, I see you've already had quite a few conversations about this. I'm really sorry. So obviously recognizing that frustration, um, I'm going to put you on hold and, and work out what's going on. Right. And I think that that, you able to have visibility over that and knowing that that's what's happened prior to obviously answering that call really enables to turn around those interactions because I feel like customers that have a surprise churn on you, um, it's never a surprise. I think it's a, a buildup of little things that we miss um, in those interactions that then end up them going, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else because I feel like this company doesn't care about me anymore. It doesn't get us anymore. Um, and I feel like it's in those little things. And that's where I think AI and automation can be really powerful by you know using natural language processing to look at, Well, these words are actually saying this, even though you might not, the tone is actually um, more on the negative side, you know, you might not necessarily pick that up, but this is what a machine can tell you. And I think that's a valuable thing that people should be looking at.
0: Yeah. And it's also that record of those engagements when the contract is up for renewal and the account executive is trying to get them to re-up or upgrade or whatever it is, that record of those engagements and for them to be able to see into that understand the csat and you know some of the sentiment around those interactions with support is really helpful because then if the let's say the account executive and the csm on the on the account or whatever need to need to speak with each other the technology has sort of brought them both up to speed such that the conversation can be fruitful when they actually when they actually speak
1: Exactly. The other thing around like internal automation, I think that's really powerful is, um, so that when sales or customer success is talking to the customer, they are informed and they can acknowledge, Hey, I know you have this issue. I know support looking into it. I've escalated on my end. I'm following it. I understand it's a priority of yours. Um, So trying to be as proactive as possible. And I know that everyone's trying to move into this proactive space and it's a really hard thing to achieve. And I think that's where automation internally comes into play that this support tickets happened over here, or they've had a conversation with finance, for example, Mm -hmm. um, because their credit card got declined. Um, Or, you know, it could be the flip side. They've started talking about marketing, about doing a case study. And, you know, this is where the case study is at um, because not all interactions are bad at the end of the day. Correct. Um, so that's, that's one thing.
0: Yeah. This is such an interesting line of, of thought because one of the things that automation enables and AI and this, this type of information sharing. And when you, when you free people up to only engage in the higher level stuff that, that humans excel at, you end up using time a lot more efficiently. Right, and a lot of software solutions, you know, ours included. One of the things we measure is how much time we're saving our customers. Right, if you can deflect a certain percentage of tickets, and each ticket has a certain amount of time it takes to, to resolve, you can start really drawing a clear line between your investment in the technology and the and the return on that investment. So this leads me to a question that. I, I love asking people when they, when they, when they come on the show and, and that is, can you share a specific automation or a specific process that was automated that had a material impact on the business? And and I know sometimes it's, you can't share exact specifics from dollar amounts or whatever, yeah. but as best as you can, I would, I would love to hear a specific example of an automation that had a positive impact.
1: Yeah. I think, um, going back to when I was working at a you know, we were a very small team uh, at that point in time and we had to leverage the tools that we had. And that was intercom. And one of the most time-consuming processes is obviously onboarding. And when you're growing and have, you know, 20 customers to onboard and there's two or three CSMs who kind of do onboarding and support at the same time, um, you're only limited by how many hours you're in the day. Uh, without those people burning out and churning themselves. So we looked to leverage um, Intercom. And so we kind of built a campaign with multiple different touch points within the platform, um, leveraging API endpoints from our software. So when somebody did created um, scheduled a worker, cause it was a construction operation tool. So when they scheduled a worker for the first time or a, a truck, out to a job, um, we would send them an instant message, being like, "Congrats on doing this step." So, trying to be a positive, reinforcing of specific pieces that we knew in the platform. If they used every day, they w- we would be able to retain them. Um, and so, and like when they send a text message for the first time, that as well. Um, and then we would have email send off uh, for which is more of a time series, like, "Hey, you've been in an assignment for this amount of time." We can see that you're using these different pieces of tools. You want to schedule a call with X person um, to kind of dive deeper in, into how you could be leveraging this better. Um, and we saw a decrease of um, onboarding time, so time, like time to value, obviously in terms of them being able to actually be using the platform rather than learning oh, how to great. use the platform. Yeah, and I think it reduced it from being more of a six week process to, to four to five weeks, um, which. Yeah. That's significant. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's significant. And also it started to spark conversations with new users that we didn't know existed in the platform as well, um, which I think is also great because one of the things I think we don't look at look at enough is who are our champion users that, that our sales and, and success team don't talk to every day. Um, and they're hiding in every single account. <laughs> you just need to find them and you need to have the access to the data to find them.
0: Yes, exactly. To be able to, to, to fingerprint your, your sort of ideal customer who has a quick time to value is pushing the boundaries of whatever package of the platform that they, that they've bought. And therefore is, you know, there's expansion revenue opportunity. You have an advocate, you have someone who's going to, Turn into maybe a great case study for marketing, but you're exactly right. You have to, you have to activate those people and you have to use technology um, to, to, to achieve that. That's, a, that's, a, that's an excellent, I think, takeaway for support leaders listening to the show is you can be a revenue driver and leverage your tech to find ways where you can drive value faster. Right, yeah. and th- that's a perfect example. Because onboarding is a key part of the support journey, even if it's 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 maybe divorced from a person who's filing a a ticket because something isn't working right a year after they first became a customer. But onboarding is still part of that larger journey. And yeah. I love the way you've, you you articulated that.
1: And typically, you're used to getting a lot more qu- questions and tickets um, from customers who are in that onboarding phase in that. Mm-hmm. And it's important to make sure that their experience in that phase is phenomenal right. on all fronts, right? Because that really then sets them up for the journey they're going to go on with your software and your people um, that then can obviously turn them into champions and advocates and, and participate in case studies and speak at events. If, you, if that's what you need them for. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I think you can do with automation is make it fun. Um, Ooh. I think that sometimes we, we don't, we want to be really formal and I think sometimes you can be fun. I know one thing I, I always experimented with was using gifs uh, to really just break down. And I think it also depends on the software you have and, right. and the brand voice obviously as well, if that fits in with the branding, um, because, you know, I don't think it, it always has a place, but I think it also helps, you know, that interaction of making someone like giggle or smile, Mm -hmm. um, even though they might not be the happiest in that point.
0: Yeah. At, at capacity, we, we, we have a repository and a knowledge pack, if you will, of personality type things that we can put into the chat bot. So it can tell you jokes and do all that kind of stuff, yeah. which is, it's, it you know, on one hand it's silly, but on the other hand, it, it is also fun. Right. Um, yeah. And whether it's through use, uh, you know, sending a, a funny gift to a customer or even, you know, a nice little well-placed emoji, right. It, you, you, you sort of. If you can communicate with somebody like you communicate with a friend, you can, you can endear some brand equity to that person and that it matters. Right. And, and I, and I agree with you, making it fun is definitely something that more people should be thinking about when they're, when they're adopting these kind of technologies. And it goes back to the, the scary question I asked you earlier, right? If why people may be scared of automation, if it's fun, they're they're not gonna be scared. Um, So. Looking back on some of the experiences you've had with with automation and, and support, if you were to give advice to another leader who's getting ready to start their automation journey, what would it be?
1: There's so many things that does that do come to mind. Um, one is I'm a big fan of testing your process manually before you add automation. Automation is great and it has a place, but if your process doesn't yes. work,
0: Yes. Manually,
1: yes. it's not going to work automa- automatically with automation. Um, and so I think that that's a big piece. Second thing is understanding why you want automation in the first place. Like what problem is it really solving? Um, and, and what business value is that giving internally? And also what business value is that going to give to your customers as well? Because I can tell you right now that um, I became really frustrated as a customer this week because of automation. Mm. <laughs> and automation is great, but sometimes it can also have a negative impact.
0: Yeah, the rush to implementation at the cost of planning creates the experience you had, and it, exactly. it thrills me to hear you say that because, as someone who you know sits on maybe the other side of the fence, where I'm, I'm you know, I've, I'm. I do marketing for a support automation company. One of the things that we try to impart in our marketing and our sales process, especially when people get to some sort of process automation, is like, let's diagram it out. Let's understand what the actual process is. Let's understand what APIs need to be connected to when, what exactly you're pulling, like what is the success criteria, Mm -hmm. literally chart it out. And then we can build the workflow and software to do that. But you may find in that process where, oh, actually... I may not need to I may not need to automate as much as I originally thought here. This is just pure job design that I can tweak yeah. a few places and fix. Therefore, let's see if we can apply this automation to a hairier problem. And you never would have gotten there had you not to your point like thought it through first. So I I that's fantastic advice and I love hearing that because <laughs> quite frankly, it makes me feel like I'm not crazy when this is something that we, you know, try to <laughs> try to, to use as, as marketing collateral as well. So,
1: yeah. And and typically you like, you know, that the problem exists, but the other thing, and this is just me working in a data company for the last two and a half years. And then also while I've been on sabbatical, I've done an enterprise data management course to become, cause I'm just a bit of a, a, a tech geek and when I haven't understood co- some concepts, I've thought, well, I've got an opportunity to learn about it. Um, yes which has been really helpful because now I understand a lot more about why organizations have such intense data challenges. Um, And so I would say like, what data do you have to back up that this is a problem? (laughs) Sorry, that's my lovely pug again.
0: (laughs) Oh, you're, you're quite all right. And I I did have my five-year-old daughter came in here. It was adorable. She opened the door and like did like the sneaking cartoon walk. (laughs) It was, it was amazing.
1: Love it. Um, well, these are all the worlds we live in now, right? Yes, that's um, true. So one of the things around the whole data piece is like, what does the data say currently about the problem? Like I do have so many support tickets open. Um, that the SLA response time is low uh, or is is not meeting the, uh, the levels that you set. And then therefore, you know, the KPIs you've set for your support team, um show that they're lagging. And, you know, obviously that doesn't really boost support teams morale. Um and then, you know, how does how is it measurable is mm-hmm. a really key thing. And there's a great book that I bought back in 2016 that I feel I'm now ready to actually read. <laughs> it's called How to Measure Anything. Mm. Um, it's a statistics heavy book. Um but basically it's by Douglas I'm forgetting his last name, but the whole concept of his book is that you can measure anything if, um, you know, if you add a value to it as Mm. such. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of things in organizations that aren't measured because we believe that it's immeasurable when it actually is. Um, it's just taking the time and bringing in some really smart people to help you do that. Um, and I think now there's a lot of smart tools that can help you with that as well.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that's another good piece, right? Don't be afraid to reach out to some of your colleagues to help understand the tech and the data you have at your, your disposal, yeah. have those conversations to get ideas on, on, on where your automation journey can go. Love that.
1: And one of the things I think is also really key is how do you upskill your team on data literacy as well? Um, because I think one of the things I always look to is people in the trenches every day and support um, are often overlooked because they're so busy in the doing, um, Mm. but they can have a great impact on on the direction you want to go in based off their experience of what has happened in their role. Um, and so I think that it's valuable to bring them into the conversation around automation and what you're thinking, because also then you're bringing your team on the journey rather than being like, Hey, I've gone away and thought of this amazing process, uh, and now we're going to go implement it. Right. And so every, and this is just having helped companies implement software uh, and seeing the change management issue that happens. It's because most of the time, the people who actually have to do it and be part of it aren't consulted Mm -hmm. and included in that process. Um, And they might have great solutions that you haven't thought of before as well. Yes.
0: Love it. So we're going to end with a quick fire round here. I don't have this branded yet, the famous five, the fabulous four. I, I don't, I need to come up with a name for, for this little segment here, but we're just going to sure. call it quick fire round for now. What's the book you most often recommend to people?
1: Ooh, I recommend, it really depends to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, But like the book, I think that I've read in the last year that's, cannabis impact for me is um <laughs> never split the difference by chris Voss. Mm. it's a negotiation book mm-hmm. but it is probably the best business book i've read in the last three years um because every interaction you have is a negotiation whether you know it or not that is correct. Um, and so you know i love that he comes from the perspective of you know, being in the FBI, I need to tell some really cool stories along the way um, that people are emotional. And so trying to understand where they're at and meet them where they're at to really um, disarm that. And I think that that's really helpful for a support person because you're going to have to get on the phone to some not so pleasant people and get some pretty angry emails with a lot of caps, exclama- exclamation points, all those <laughs> kind
0: creative of- Creative use of language, yeah.
1: To, uh, to really demonstrate that they are upset right now. Um, and I think that we don't arm people enough with how do they deal with those situations. Um, and then another book I read that I really loved was subscribed, um, by the email, the CEO of
0: scrapped. You said
1: "Subscribed." subscribed. Yeah. It's, um, from the CEO of Zora. So basically subscribed is about the subscription economy model um, and how it not only applies to SAS, but how it applies to other industries as well. And I think it's really interesting with things like automation and AI, um, how that's disrupting construction and how subscription mm. models are being implemented in construction. Um, and then someone, uh, I always read his books is Scott Galloway. He wrote the four, which yep. is a great book, obviously on Facebook, Amazon, Google. Um, and I just finished reading his newest book called post Corona Post Corona.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've got that sitting in Great, my Kindle
1: thought provoking book around, um, how companies can actually become part of the four. Um, it's just, are you recognizing those opportunities?
0: Yeah. What's the best productivity hack you've ever used?
1: Productivity hack I've ever used. My calendar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, is there? Do you have a Do you have a, a system that you use to manage
1: your calendar that that um, blocking that time? I think is mm. really key so that people don't intrude on it. Um, and then the other thing is, I live and breathe by Evernote as well, and I have since like twenty fifteen. Um, and so I think that that's really helpful in terms of um, having a daily note of like here's what I want to do. Um, and then like meeting notes or thoughts. Uh, and then obviously you have like the reactionary stuff that happens mm. every day that you can't foresee or control. Um, and I'd say probably the be- best productivity hack. to really not, doesn't involve anything, but being able to say no.
0: Being able to say no. That is a fantastic suggestion. <laughs> One of the, One of the things we do every year, I have a productivity hacks listicle that I've turned into a webinar that we update every year. And one of the things we added recently was exactly that. Don't be afraid to say no. Yeah. You don't have to say yes to everything. And a lot of people think they have to say yes to everything.
1: But also it's um, saying no and explaining why no. Um, And I, I, you know, I used to be a yes person uh, and then... I burnt out as everyone, every yes person does. And so, you know, being able to say no and explain why no, or the other thing is, you know, it might not be easy to say no to your manager, for example. So one thing I would do would be like, okay, um, what would you like me to deprioritize? Or how would you like me to proceed? Because there's also these other things happening at the same time. And so what you're doing is you're putting that problem back to the person who's brought you the problem. And that's also something I would ask in support would be like, how would you like to proceed when you have a really confrontational customer? Because then you're putting the problem back on them and they kind of can give you what they're expecting. Uh, and then you can work out where you can meet them on that.
0: That's excellent. So if you could recommend one site, blog, Slack community, LinkedIn group, et cetera, for support leaders, what would it be?
1: I would say I have spent the a lot of time on gain, grow, retain. And even though it's focused towards customer success, I still think support kind of falls under that customer success. Mm-hmm. Banner. And I think that the beauty of not just being in a support environment, but also being in the overall overarching group is that you have so many different perspectives and ideas to kind of, I would steal, take and make your own. <laughs> Um, I'm a big fan, and don't reinvent the wheel. Like the wheel already exists in multiple different shapes and forms out there. It's just finding the people that that you know can will give you that kind of how to, um, and it's a really supportive community as well. And I think that Jay Nathan and and Jeff have uh, from Higher Logic have done an amazing job at growing that community and making sure that it's not just about them; it's about the people in there as well.
0: Yeah, we we talked to Jeff for an episode of this. He's he's a good dude. He's got a lot of very interesting and not only thought provoking but also coming from a wisdom in the crowd just because of of that community yeah it's a it's a great conversation, and I highly recommend anybody um listening to this also listen to that episode because it's a good one so last question, if you could take one person out for coffee or happy hour if if <laughs> if that's the if that's the vibe in the world of support, who would that be
1: yeah they're not in support. It's actually, I would love to take Scott Galloway out for a coffee Um, because I'm a big fan of going outside of your industry or your network to get ideas. Um, You know, I always think about like, if I'm a customer, what is the great support experience that I've had? Um, You know, and I look at companies like Apple and Amazon, they have focused so intensely on that experience that you go there out of default because their customer experience is great. Um, and it's always resolved quickly. Um, and so, you know, I think that Scott has quite a broad perspective on the world and, and what's happening in it. And I think that then he could, you know, bring all these different things to the table that I might not necessarily see. Um, and I think that's then useful to spark a new idea of how to attack a problem.
0: Yeah. Love it. Well, there you go, everyone. Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with, with us today. Uh, I encourage everybody to follow Rachel on LinkedIn. She writes some great stuff about really turning support into a revenue-driving um, function. She's also got some great stuff on what she's learned is from managing customer success. And Rachel, I can't thank you enough for your time today, and I hope you have a wonderful afternoon.
1: Thank you. You too. It was great to have a chat. I really appreciate the time.
0: The Support Automation Show is brought to you by Capacity. Visit Capacity.com to find everything you need for automating support and business processes in one powerful platform. You can find the show by searching for Support